hello, everybody. You got your mic? Look how pretty you are. Now, look, now, what's this right here? What's, what are these things? Oh, is this a light, Steve, right here? What is that right there? What is that for? Oh, that's for our lights. Yeah, turn it. If you're going to have it there, you better turn it on. Okay, there we go. Hey. Hi. Look at there. Oh, uh, you know, I, I, I pictured the room bigger. How many people can you fit in here, uh, Theron? Steve? 585. I have to play that number when I get downtown. 585. Okay, we're going to start this thing. And Steve, uh, how much time do we want to spend here? 45, 50 minutes? I think I can do this job in 45, 50 minutes. I think I can do it. All right. Now, this is our, our very first Rue Talks here at DragCon. DragCon, yes. And I am so happy that our first guest here is someone I really respect. Now, if you read the New York Times, the editorial page that you, uh, the, the column you must read is by this man here. So smart. He is right on target for what, I'm, what I believe is how we all feel about this current climate right now. And, you know, what's interesting too is that, you know, this is a very interesting man. Uh, we'll spend a little bit of time on what's going on uh, in D.C. and in the world, but I'm really more interested in him. So, y'all, put your hands together for Charles Blow. Now, Charles Blow has written this fabulous book. It's called Fire Shut Up in My Bones. And you gotta go get this. If you read the column, you gotta get this book because Charles goes very in-depth about his life uh, as a black, you are black, right? <laughs> as a black man. And you know what's interesting is that you and I, both my, both my parents are from Louisiana. Tell everybody where in Louisiana you're so from. I'm from North Louisiana, near Shreveport. Where, yeah. where are your parents from? My father is from, was from Mansfield. I know Mansfield. Yep, which is just 30 yes. miles south of Shreveport. Yes, I know Mansfield. And my mother was from St. Martinsville. I don't know St. Martinsville. That's down south near uh, New Iberia okay. and uh, Lafayette. Okay. So we have that in common. Yes. Now, t tell me about, uh, first of all, let's just get the, <laughs> let's get the politics stuff out of the way. Okay, let's go. You talk about it all. Are you sick of talking about it? Uh, I think it's exhausting for everyone. Um, it's my job to pay attention to it, to, talk, you know, to consider it all the time. And I do that both because it is my job and I also now believe it is my civic responsibility to try to... Um, bear witness to what we're experiencing because it is an incredible moment in history and we, because we're living through it and we still have to go to our jobs and pay our bills and tend to our families and our friends and eat dinner and whatever, we don't have the time nor the luxury to always slow down and consider how dramatically um, kind of threatening this situation is. And it is important to me, as a chronicle of history in real time, to make sure that I am documenting it 
it well yeah. and calling it what it is so that when we look back on it in five or 10 or 15 or 20 years and someone goes through the archives, that they will see that someone was saying, this is not okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think everybody feels the same way. How are, I wanna ask the audience, if I, we all follow this stuff, and be honest here, um, are you exhausted by all of this stuff? Yeah, you are, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, here at DragCon, there is a booth called, I think it's called Swing Vote. Is that right, Tom? Swing Left. Swing Left, which is uh, an organization that is signing people up for, to, to, to vote. So all of you, please, please vote. That is the, the important message here. Now... Again, I just, I don't want to spend too much time on the thing because you do it all the time. We hear it all the time. I'm, there are kids in here. I'm not going to cuss. <laughs> are there kids in here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't cuss. I won't cuss. Um, so the Kavanaugh thing, uh, you know what I'm interested in? I'm always interested in what's underneath the hood. I want to see what's under the surface. Uh, are there things that we should know about uh, that are happening that are not reported in the New York Times, and, and specifically about this Kavanaugh thing? I, I don't know if they're not reported. I, there, are, there are facets of it that we don't pay as close enough attention to. Um, number one, the entire discussion around um, sexual abuse, and, and in particular in this case, it's childhood sexual abuse. Um, was completely kind of off the rails and not of the kind and quality that it should have been because it was moving so quickly and because they didn't have the right kinds of people talking about it on television. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was really important to me as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, but also because in the queer community we're overpopulated in that group of abused victims. And being able to talk about it in the ways that it actually happens, which is very often an older child with a younger one. Mm -hmm. uh, it very often is intimate between people who know each other. Mm -hmm. uh, it is not to catch a predator where some, most times, where some 40-year-old shows up with beer and condoms for a 14-year-old, 15-year-old girl. It is, that happens, but it is not the predominant way that it happens. Mm -hmm. it, the, way, the reasons that people don't talk are, you know, has been studied forever. And we're still not talking about that in the right kinds of ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, why doesn't she remember the day of the house? Well, you don't. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, the, the memory of it lives inside of you in a way that you, you stay in that moment constantly questioning, what could I have done? Was it my fault? You know, could I have told this person or that person? Could I have fought back? Could I have confronted the person later? Could I, coulda, coulda, coulda. Mm -hmm. And that, you, you spend years sometimes, sometimes people spend their whole life doing that exercise and never really coming to grips and with having enough courage or fortitude to say anything about it. Yeah. So when you hear these women say, you know, it just didn't feel like that big a deal or the other people in the, in the, in the party, I don't expect them to remember it because it wasn't a big deal to them. That's how it works. Yeah. That's the, exactly the way it works. And so, but we, because you only have a certain amount of time, people like to have pundits like me argue on television. 
you get a lot of theater yeah. and less information about it, and so people kind of skip over these very important parts of that conversation. So that to me is kind of hiding in plain sight. It's not necessarily it's not reported. It's just that we don't we're not talking about it the right way. Right. Right. What's interesting, too, is that, you know, the whole conservative creed for so many years has been, uh, you know, uh, being, uh, you know, very uh, don't touch down here. We don't talk about this down here. Yet here we are in a situation where someone's been very uh, um, promiscuous. And I'm just interested in why the discussion on how hypocritical the conservatives are. What, what, that's the big news here. We've got this situation, and they're just turning their head towards it, you know, away from it. It was big news in 2016. Now it's not as big a news because we have seen that they have basically sold themselves to the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, my, in- I I grew up in Louisiana. It is a Um, I grew up in Louisiana, very conservative state. I may not have always agreed with Republicans or conservatives, but I understood them because it was was a moral argument that they were making and whether or not I agreed with their form of morality was a separate issue from whether or not I could understand it and they seemed to be following it as much as they were talking about Mm -hmm. it. In 2016, they completely threw that out the window and said, we don't care what this guy does. And these are what the, the, the Christian conservatives said this. We don't care what he does as long as he'll lower our taxes and give us judges. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and so essentially everything after that flows from that. Yeah, yeah. This all, everything is fruit from the poison tree. So the fact that you now have a guy who is credibly accused of these offenses and they're saying we don't care because we didn't care then and he's not a president and we have paid no uh, uh, kind of penalty for this yeah they believe that they're immune from it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and I think of people in the midterm including those in this room have to show them that no you are not immune yeah that you are accountable yeah you know I have this theory that People in power who have a lot of money, uh, they spew out this conservative stuff like the Koch brothers or or any number of people, and they don't believe the conservative creed at all, but they know that they can get the hoi polloi behind them by just saying this stuff. Do you think that young people are going to turn around and get onto this, this lark? Well... We've been hoping that they would do that for 200 years, right? So uh, there is a very long history uh, ever since um, Reconstruction where wealthy white men in particular, because women didn't, weren't enfranchised at the time, but although many of them supported this system, wealthy white men looked at poor white men who were very much aligned with poor black people. Mm -hmm. And they could have made allegiances across those lines. Mm -hmm. And they intentionally, and this, you know, I keep reading different instances of with them literally saying this on the record, intentionally said the only way to ensure white supremacy, which is a word that was used a lot during Reconstruction, uh, to ensure white supremacy was to turn 
the poor whites against the poor blacks, to make them believe that they're the only, you may have it bad, but at least you're not black. Right, right, right. Right? And that has been used for 200 years. Mm -hmm. And I, I've always hoped that people would realize that there are so many commonalities between all poor people, you know, black, brown, whatever, whatever you pray to, whatever. And the only people who are benefiting from this squabble and this struggle among the working class is the people with a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what do you think, it's, what, what will it take? What will it take to turn this around? Is it complete catastrophe? I mean, well, it, it, we get to vote. <laughs> so we, we get to vote in a couple of months. Uh, that helps a lot. Um, but, um, you know, I'm 48 years old. I've seen a lot of elections. You're a child. <laughs> You're a child of 48. <laughs> You're too kind. Um, uh, but, I, it, 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 you know, it, when people win, they get lazy. And when they lose, they get angry. And it is only when people have lost do they actually show up because they're angry. And then as soon as you win, you know, last time we had a Democratic President Barack Obama, two years after he won, after all those people came and showed up, everybody stayed home. Mm -hmm. And then you got an unprecedented number of Republicans elected. Mm -hmm. And they did everything that they could to make sure that he would never be, that this situation would never repeat itself. You can't just participate when you're pissed off. You have to participate because you believe that you want a future where you don't have to go through these cycles of anger and depression every decade. Yeah. Which yeah. is what you're doing. Yeah. We are talking to Charles Blow. The book is called Fire Shut Up In My Bones. Now, this is a Bible quote. Yes. Do you have a spiritual practice today? No, <laughs> much to my mother's uh, chagrin, because uh, <laughs> she keeps telling me, you better go to church, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, you can have a spiritual practice without going to church. What's that? You can have, yeah, uh-huh. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> You know, I've, I've actually written a lot about this because, because I was such a religious young person and I'm not now, I, I'm fascinated by how people consider religion and spirituality and whatever. And, and you're right, the more people move away from the church, the more they long for something. Mm -hmm. There is something in the ritual of it, yeah. in the every week, everybody gathering together to try to, to say, well, at least they're Say, say they're trying to do good and commune with each other. Well, there's something about just having a meeting mm -hmm. with all of your friends every yeah. day, every week, yeah. that you, there's not necessarily a template for that outside of religious practices. Yeah. And people try to recreate it by bars and social events and game nights and whatever, but that's a, it's a built-in structure to that. It's interesting. And one thing that I, you know, that I found is like, people so desperately want some spirituality that the majority of the kids who grew up not religious mm. become religious when they become adults. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They feel like they've missed something. They just want it. So there's a giant draw to it. I get that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just can't follow the dictates of a Bronze Age book where people didn't know that the world was round. I just, that's just, yeah. it's, a, it's a problem. And, and also, 
you know, the, you know, believing that the world is 3,000 or whatever they say, 10,000 right. years old. I mean, I'm so, yeah. I, I was the art director of National Geographic for a little while. I've yeah. held a dinosaur bone in my hand. I'm, I can't believe that if, if I held something that was too... Right, you yeah, but you understand also that, uh, you know, just a spiritual practice. Listen, we all have something we want to change about ourselves. We talk about it all the time, whether it's spending too much time on social media or wanting to start a new hobby. But if you're like me, like most people, taking action can feel impossible without the right support system. Talkspace Online Therapy is the most convenient and affordable way to make lasting changes in your life with the support of a licensed therapist. Send your licensed therapist texts, audio, pictures, video, all these messages, however you choose to do it from your phone or your computer, whenever or wherever you need to, even if it's on your way to work. You don't have to make appointments or deal with extra commutes. Everything happens within Talkspace's secure platform, all on your schedule. Talkspace matches you with a licensed therapist based on your needs and preferences. They have thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties. So if you have something very specific you want to work on, they'll find the right person for you. Once you're matched, you too can begin therapy the very same day. The bottom line is life can be hard. And Talkspace wants to give us more of the support we need at the price we can afford. As a listener of What's the Tea, you can get $100 off your first month of Talkspace. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure you use the code RU to get $100 off your first month. And of course, get yourself together. This is a great way to do it. That's RU and Talkspace.com. You all know how much we love Squarespace, and this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Making a website has never been easier. You too can make a gorgeous website in minutes using their beautiful templates and their drag and drop platform. When you're ready to purchase a plan, get 10% off with the offer code RU. That's squarespace.com, offer code RU. I mean, uh, do you pray at all? I mean, when- That's a yes or no answer. I mean, what's a prayer? I mean, so, you know, when things start to go bad, you're like, Lord, help me, you know. Is that a prayer? <laughs> yes, I pray. I say, is that right? <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Okay. That'll do it. So, you, you know, you, you deal with all this heavy stuff, not only in your book, but in your, your column in the New York Times all the time. When, how do you have fun? Where do you have fun? Do you go dancing or what do you do? I'm too old to dance, but... No! No, uh-uh. No, we were dancing the other night. Uh, you know, I DJed over at uh, this uh, thing. You were there. We danced all night long. Now, I paid for it the next day, but, but it was fun. What, what do you do for fun? Do you... I mean, <laughs> I, I hang out with my friends. I go to bars. I mean, I think you should, I'm still young enough to go to bars, but, but you know... I feel I don't know I don't know how to separate work from from uh, uh, some sort of social life. I think it's all one thing for me. Oh, you better learn how. Oh, you well, better I, separate. But, okay, but if you're a writer, yeah. if you're if you're like me and you're a writer, everything is a subject to you. Sure. So whenever you meet someone fascinating, it's a it's like a subject. Whenever I hear someone speak and I can hear that they, they have clever turn of phrase, I'm like listening as a writer and kind of, and recording the intonation and the turn of phrase. So it's, to me, I'm always working because in a way I'm never working Mm because I love it and this is what I do. So, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, you you never have fun in your work, but to me work is fun. And so I, 
I just, it all blends together to me. Yeah, yeah. And you've got three kids. What are their ages? Uh, my oldest is 24, and my twins are 21. Oh, they're uh, twins or 21? Yes, yes. Wow. So the, do they live at home? Because, you know, now kids uh, get out of the house at 30. No, no, no. So, so uh, my, my oldest uh, is a boy. He lives, he lives uptown with his girlfriend. Um, and my twins are seniors in college mm-hmm. and are really, really upset that I have renovated their rooms and turned them into guest rooms. Uh-huh. So, uh, so maybe that my, my daughter, my son's going to go to work. My oldest is going to medical school. My daughter wants to go to medical school as well, but she wants to try to make the Olympics. She's very close. Mm-hmm. So she's going to take a year off. So she'll probably be at home next year. Yeah. And, and so now are they politically minded? I think so, although they, the way they talk about politics is about issues and equality more so than parties. Right, right. Because, you know, I, I can't help but think that a lot of the issues that we are dealing with, with apathy, has to do with this, the whole obsession with social media and everybody walking down the street doing this. I, 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 it, it actually bothers me. It probably shouldn't, but it, it does. How much of that do you think is the reason we have so much apathy when it comes to uh, decisions being made for all of us? I think that that's part of it. I think um, that apathy is a, a systematic program that people want you to be apathetic. And so uh, American politicians want you not to care. And so they do everything to make you feel crestfallen. Uh, the Russians didn't want you to vote. At least they didn't want black people to vote. That's what they said in the, in the, in the, in the reports. And so they did everything to make them feel demoralized. Mm-hmm. Uh, people talk a lot about, well, my vote doesn't matter anyway, and every time there's some sort of weird discrepancy in voting or, yeah. or, or voter suppression, people say, see, that's why. Right. Uh, you know, and then this past election, people got so caught up in a sh- very, what I thought was a very strange argument about like, oh, I can't, morally, I cannot vote for the lesser of two evils. Mm. You know, and even if you believe, I, don't, I never thought believed that lesser two evils argument, but even if you believe that, it is still lesser. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. So you, you, you wouldn't even be having this debate about Kavanaugh if people had just shown up in Michigan. In Michigan, I think they won by somewhere between 10 and 30, I don't know the number, because it was three of these states where it was a very small number. There were more people who showed up and voted. These are not the apathetic ones. These showed up at the polls, voted, but could not bring themselves to vote the presidential line. They voted every other line. You are kidding me. More of those people did that than was the margin of victory for Donald Trump. Mm, mm. That was the most ridiculous thing because you wouldn't even have this discussion. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very it's very sad. I you know I don't, I mean I, our our job is to somehow make voting sexy for young people. Yes. I guess I don't know what else to do really. I mean it's got to be attach it to to grinder or something or tender something. I'm we're open to suggestions. I mean we're going to talk... Just, a li- just swipe left and just, that's a vote. Sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. 
we're, we're going to talk more with, with Charles Blow. We're going to actually take questions the last 15 minutes of our discussion here. And um, I just want to urge you, um, we really don't need comments. We actually want questions. And there's a difference between comments and questions. I just want to plant that seed while we have a little moment here. You know, I was worried. What? That we were going to be dressed alike. Really? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, you could very easily wear this. Would you like to wear it? Let's wear it. It is, you want it back? No, you, you put it, you wear it. It is absolutely perfect on, on that brown skin. It looks good. <laughs> All right, now, I just want to talk a little bit about growing up in, in, in Louisiana. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You know, my parents... I feel so much freer now. Yes, yeah, you should. Uh, my parents were country as F country and they you know god bless them you know oh thank you darling thank you. that's my husband right there george give him a big round of applause he, he's gonna he's gonna kill me for that actually uh uh you know i i had to learn a lot of my processing tools uh well after my parents sent me off into the world uh they just didn't know I didn't even know what to do with me. They really didn't. God bless them. But uh, uh, how, how did you get to be so smart? And how did you get the processing tools you, you've needed to be sitting in that chair right there? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, well, um, smart, I guess, is just your parents. You have nothing to do with. No, your, bitch, you are smart. But, 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 but. but. <laughs> I was just saying raw intelligence, but uh, you know, part of it is uh, absolutely my mom's because she was, she was a school teacher. Um, she never watched television other than the news and the Wheel of Fortune. Okay. Um, and she read the newspaper every day, even when we were, you know, poorest of the poor. The one thing she would not sacrifice is the new, uh, daily subscription to the newspaper. So mm. it came every day. What's, what paper uh, was it? The it was called the Shreveport Times. Shreveport Times. Uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, they had what they call a mini page, which is like a kid's thing. So I would lay next to her, and I'd read the mini page, and she'd mm. read the rest of the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And all through, when I was a kid, she was constantly taking classes. She got her master's when I was in high school. Uh, and it took a long time, because she was taking classes in addition to raising all these boys and also working. How many boys was it? Uh, there were five of us. Yeah. Uh, and my great uncle also lived with us. And Great uncle? I never even had a good uncle. <laughs> Elvira joke, sorry. But part of it was that she had to take courses. And when she couldn't get a babysitter, I'd go to class with her. Mm. And... The impression that it makes on you to see 
as a student to see your mother or parent in a class and she's taking notes and being the student that you she wants you to be and and demonstrating what that looks like and coming home and doing homework and you seeing how that plays out in her life in real terms mm. it improves you buy the car now you can build a house now that you want and I can see that happening as I'm growing up then education was not an abstraction to me mm -hmm. it wasn't like oh I don't know how I'm gonna use this algebra I don't know how what, what is why would I have to learn about mm -hmm. you know how mm -hmm. to dissect the frog because I'm seeing her applying it in real time and so to me education was always a liber liberating concept uh, and uh, and and reading was a freeing thing and it was a way to travel because we couldn't travel. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, my uncle um, bought us, we only had like a one little bookcase and had three shelves and he bought, for one of our shelves, he bought us a set of encyclopedias. For all you young people, <laughs> an encyclopedia is the internet printed out. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> So he bought us a set of encyclopedias, and I would just like, that's what I would do in the evenings. I would just grab a volume, just pick a letter, and I just read the encyclopedia. I love that. And it's interesting, too, you know, most parents try to teach at their children, but really children learn by environment and what watching their parents right. do what they do. Right. Now you've got three kids. Yes. The mother of your children, is she still in the picture? Yes, she lives in Harlem. Lives in Harlem. Yes. And so, uh, you know, you've got these three kids who are clearly very smart and ambitious. Uh, when you look back at raising these kids, uh, what would you have done differently and uh, what are you most proud of? Oh, I could take the last part for I mean, they're just amazing people. Um, incredibly smart, smarter than I ever was. Really? And I think so. I mean, they don't, they don't think of it that way, but I just, they are voracious. I'm a, I'm a writer, but I, this is a secret. Don't tell anybody. Uh, I am a very slow reader. Mm. Mm. And because I can't, like if I read a, a sentence that I like, I will go back to that sentence like eight times before I go to the next page. I'm like, okay, I will never finish this book at this rate. Right, right, right. Um, but they just, they read everything and they are super smart and I love to have them at the house at the same time because they just debate each other on the smallest mm -hmm. thing to the biggest thing mm -hmm. and it's, I'm enriched by it. Um, and in addition to that, they're just super good people. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Never been in trouble in any way and, but they're also so much more conservative than me. Really? I just, you know, so I don't know where that came from. But they just... In what way? Conservative well, in what way? Well, you know, I, I just wasn't... I just, you know... I wrote a column about my son being stopped at Yale. He was stopped by the police and they put him on the ground. and Just like whatever happens to all the rest of the black yeah. kids. And the one thing that was... I kind of point out when I'm talking about that is that it, my son was coming out of a library on a Saturday night. You would not have caught me at a library on a Saturday night when I was in college. Like, but, but Mike, he just not, he's not a party kid. He just, he believes in doing the right thing. Mm. This girl he's been dating was his first girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And they're still together. He, he's just a very conservative person. Yeah. And it caused him a lot of problems in like high school because if he felt that people were being cruel to someone, He's like, I literally can't be friends with you. Right. Well, pretty much everybody in high school is cruel to someone. 
So he ends up like not really having a lot of friends because he will not compromise on this. Mm -hmm. You cannot make fun of people who are, you can't bully people. And that's, right. that was his thinking. Yeah. And I admire that so much because I think that probably I would have been some, somewhere and tried to be friends with everybody. And he refused that. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of people they are, which mm -hmm. is, you know, that's why I say they're kind of better people than me. Yeah. Well, and what uh, would you have done differently in raising them? I think that I would have tried to make, you know, I am, um, I'm, I'm strict as mm -hmm. a parent, like, you know, uh, and I would have been less so. Mm -hmm. But I, for me, you know, your young black kids, two, two black boys in a dangerous world. And I know all your friends are misbehaving and running around and smoking and drinking and whatever. You cannot do that. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, there's a part of me that always feels guilt about that because you're clipping their wings. Mm -hmm. And they feel like they are different than everybody else and they have to behave in this constrained way. I wish that I could have found a better balance of trying to let them be free, but also protect them from harm. Right, right, yeah. So did you let them listen to rap music and watch television? Uh, it was a very, it was, so, I credit my mom with this, because she was like, okay, you gotta stop. So first, for a long time, we didn't watch a lot of television, and there were no video games in the house. Mm -hmm. And my mom, one Christmas, went out and bought a video game and said, you're gonna let these kids have it. Uh -huh. So, okay. Right. So they started a video game again. Yeah. And, uh, and then, um, as they got older, you know, I just relaxed on a lot of the strictures. But, you know, they, they listen to music, they, but they're just, they, I don't know, they were just super busy. They didn't, they, my daughter is uh, on the U.S. fencing team, and she's, every month, she's in another country. Like, she just mm -hmm. doesn't have time. She practices every day. She doesn't have time for that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the boys were always that they played football and lacrosse. They were just busy kids, so they yeah. didn't do a lot of television watching anyway. Yeah. You know, they say it takes two months to form a habit. And if you made a resolution this year, that can feel like a long, long time to wait to see results. With Calm, all it takes is five minutes a day to feel better, to feel calmer, and to feel ready to face whatever this year throws at you. So 2020, bring it on. What if you can accomplish all your resolutions by doing one thing? Mindfulness. It's the best thing you could do to help focus on all areas of your life. Now, Calm is the number one app for sleep, relaxation, and meditation. Calm has sleep stories, which are like bedtime stories for adults. They can help you fall asleep into a deep, natural state in minutes. And stories are often narrated by iconic voices like LeVar Burton and Nick Offerman, so on and so on. They also have soothing music from artists like Sam Smith, guided meditations, which are the things that I use to fall asleep every night with calm, breathing exercises, and there's so much more to keep you relaxed and de-stressed. And if you go to calm.com slash rue, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a calm premium subscription. That is amazing, which includes hundreds of hours of programming. Over 60 million people use calm. So join them today to accomplish your goals tomorrow. For listeners of our fabulous show, calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off of a calm premium subscription. Just go to 
calm.com slash Rue. That's 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library and the new content. Well, that's added every single week. Get started today at calm.com slash Rue. That's C-A-L-M.com slash R-U. Yeah. Now, in, in relation to the kids, you've been very candid about your life and that you are bisexual. And what, at what age did you let the kids know that? Uh, when I wrote the book, I, I let them read before I sent it up. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, when they found out. Yeah, because it wasn't a practice thing, because mm-hmm. I was married. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, I just, there's something about, I don't think any of our kids want to think about us having sex, no matter who we're having sex with. <laughs> so it just wasn't something that I felt. But I felt like at the point that it was, I was sharing with everybody, the first people to share with, with was them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you no, know, pro- I talked about processing tools and, you know, coming from country folks. I learned the hard way a lot of, about just my heart and how to process things that, how I felt, especially coming from a black background and assimilating into white culture, Jewish culture, gay culture, all those different things. How was that for you? How did you do it? What was your first foray into outside of Louisiana? Outside of Louisiana, um, I, the first thing was, I think it was my, it was an internship at the, in Delaware, the News Journal in Delaware. 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 I thought you went to Detroit first. Well, that was my first job. Right. But my first internship was outside of Louisiana was in Delaware. I see. Yes. And was it was it was it a, a, a real culture shock? I mean, how did you have to, to uh, how did you adjust your thinking? Because let me just say this, you know, coming from a black background, you know, I had to I had to put aside a lot of my trigger finger oh my god are they offending me did she say something that was meant to be about me or all that I had to really put all of that aside so I could lighten my load and move to where I needed to go so I had to make an adjustment with myself did you have to also make that adjustment I don't think I would describe it that way I mean um, I never I didn't grow up with any of the kind of um, inferiority uh, insecurities that I know a lot of black people take into white spaces. That's not, you know, so I... Why? How did that, because, how did that elude you? Right, because I, my, the school that I went to is one of the oldest schools in Louisiana. Uh, Grambling? It, no, this nope. is my high school. Oh, high school. It, my high school is older than Grambling. Oh. Older than the college I went to. It was started as a college to, uh, it, during Reconstruction, to educate the sons and daughters of freed slaves. And so we grew up with, you know, there's this great scene in um, the Spike Lee movie where they're in Saul's Pizzeria and they're arguing about, put some black people on the wall or whatever. Do the right thing? Do the right thing, that's uh-huh. what it's called. And I'm, I'm watching that movie and thinking, I grew up with nothing but black people on the wall mm-hmm. because we had 100 plus years of this institution being there and having, them having done it all themselves, them, they had these, gorgeous, they were no longer there when I got there, but gorgeous Victorian buildings that they built themselves. Mm. They made bricks in the morning before class, mm. and they would build these incredible structures. 
just them on their own. They did it. They they taught every you know they were starting teaching Greek and philosophy to these kids whose parents had just been slaves. Mm -hmm. And that to, that was my legacy. So I always came into those spaces having been in rooms where black people were always the smartest people in the room. So when I walk into the room, I'm thinking, well, a black person could be the smartest person in this room. <laughs> right? So I, I came in with that kind of confidence always. And also I realized that a lot of the rest of the world was so caught up in race and prejudice and bias that they were typecasting me in a way that was so easy to elude because you, all you have to do is play against type and you were already exceeding their expectations just by putting a regular sentence together. And I'm like, I, you do realize I'm smarter than you, right? Like, so I'm like, so, so it was, I, I always realized that they, whenever someone practices racism, even if they are, it is the benign, they don't hate you, they just believe that there's a such thing as white supremacy in their bones, they just think that you know their culture has produced better things than yours or whatever, you're already handicapped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I already know I have to, morally, you're already defeated. I already, the moment I realize that that's happening in your head, I already know that I'm winning. I see, yes, yeah. so the person who is discriminating against you, you already know. Well, I already know that you're morally handicapped. Can the church say amen? Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. And that's a good point for people, for takeaway, for people who may deal with that, if you're black or if a woman or gay, it's a very important point. And that is the conclusion I had come to in uh, moving through the world as I have. Yeah. Now, okay, so you, you, you do this column for the New York Times, which is really brilliant. You've got to read, start reading his column if you don't already. You've got this book, Fire Shut Up, Fire shut up in my bones, which is a. It's, it's I, from Jeremiah. It's from Jeremiah. It's a. It, it was just whined all the time. If you ever know about, like, just, dude, stop it. It's just crying and whining all the time. So this comes from him when he's he he's crying again. They call him the whining prophet, and he's Jeremiah like, was a whiner. Oh my god. Um, I thought he was a bullfrog. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. Thank you. Thank you. And he's saying he doesn't want to preach the gospel anymore. And I'm just tired. And every time I try to do it, they, they don't listen to me. And then he says this line, which I think is beautiful, which he says, I want to keep it in, but I can't. Because when I try to keep it in, it feels like a fire shut up in my bones. Mm. And I thought this idea of having a secret, having something you need to tell the world, and you try to keep it in, but you can't because it is burning and aching to get out, mm -hmm. was a, is actually a beautiful line, but also a beautiful sentiment. Yeah, and what does, how does that relate to your life? Well, because I, uh, although my ex-wife was, was, was aware and I talked to her, but it was just people who were very intimate to me who knew about my life, and I just thought, like, if I'm married anyway, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We're in love, we, she knows everything about me, I know everything about her, so it doesn't matter. When I'm no longer married and I'm not a columnist, the one, it, it is incumbent upon me to say everything, all of this to the world, mm -hmm. I believe, number one. Number two, I've been in news my entire life, 25 years, and one thing I know is this, you cannot hold a secret, 
Uh, and if you better tell it yourself, because if somebody finds it out, they're not going to be as kind as you're going to be to yourself. Mm -hmm. So, and and then in the act of doing it, it becomes even more uh, spiritually revealing to me because it is a freeing exercise to just tell everybody in the whole world everything about you because all of us, you know, Baldwin used to say, you know, they asked him like, well, why did you feel that you had to come out as gay? He says, because then there was no way that anybody could blackmail me. Mm -hmm. And I think blackmail he was using kind of metaphorically because what he was saying is that you, that you can't have something on me if I've given everything. You can't say I, I know your secret because I have no secrets. Mm -hmm. And I want to live a life in which I have no secrets. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and, and that is not just a defensive mechanism, that is a active loving of yourself. Mm -hmm. Because it frees you to be a full person. You can't ever be in love if you are lying to someone. You mm -hmm. can't ever experience life if you are lying to someone, mm -hmm. just if you're lying to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No. Very well said. All right. Now, we're going to take some time to do a few questions. And I don't, is, Steve, is there a microphone out there? Or do they, you want, you want them to come up here? Or are you going to have them come up? So, yeah, because if, you, if you're going to make a fool out of yourself, we all going to see you. <laughs> so, who's got a question? Come on up here. This beautiful man right here. What's your name? Where are you from? Uh, I'm Philip Henry. I'm from New York. Wait, you're going to have to slow that shit down. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. You're Philip? Philip Henry. Philip Henry? Yes. From New York. What, what neighborhood in New York? Uh, I live in Harlem. You live in Harlem. I Are do. you from Harlem? No, I'm from the Bronx. You're from the Brazons? Yes, yes. Okay. Down Bronx. All right. Dunhill Road. Uh-huh. Now, um, come over here and ask your question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we want to get you in the light and turn this in, because I believe there are cameras here. I don't know. Don't get me to lying up in here. <laughs> What's your question? Uh, my question is uh, for you. Um, as uh, in light of national hero, you know, Christine Blasey Ford. Uh, we love her, we say. Uh, in light of her, and as uh, a female impersonator uh, and working in drag as long as you have, uh, where do you feel uh, drag falls and intersects kind of with the uh, Me Too movement and uh, supports feminism? That's a good question. I don't have an answer. <laughs> I don't have an answer. It's a very intelligent question. You're going to have to get back to me on that one. Um, first of all, I never consider myself a female impersonator. I do drag. Because women, women don't dress like that. That's true. Fair. That's true. It's no shade. Not, not no even shade. that well sometimes. <laughs> But, you know, I, and in and, and terms of the Me Too movement and drag, well, see, drag, I always feel drag is a truth teller. I feel like we are court gestures, where we're there saying to all of the structure of society, F you. Yeah. And in that regard, um, it is well aligned with the Me Too movement and with our national, newly minted national hero. So. Yes. There you go. Give me, give you a hug. Give me some sugar. Thank you. Thank you. You can just put that down there. Yeah. 
Oh, you know we love reading about your websites that you build through Squarespace. And I have a long-ass letter, so I'm going to give you the details on how to send us yours after. But first, I want to jump right into the email now. So this one says, hey, Rue and Michelle, I love your podcast. I always look forward to new episodes coming out. I have on several occasions gotten strange looks on the tube by laughing out loud whilst listening to you. Well, we love that. I'm just dropping you a line to share my website with you that I built using Squarespace. I'm a former professional dancer. Oh, same, honey, same. Now I'm a Pilates teacher based in London. Seven years ago, I got pneumonia, was left with degenerative lung condition called bronchiosis. I'm going to try to try that again. Bronchiostasis. Bronchiostasis. I, I took a risk on that. I know I failed. I really struggled to get the help that I needed. So I helped myself to and became a qualified exercise specialist in chronic respiratory disease. This has led me to develop a workshop for Pilates teachers, showing them how to improve their clients' breathing and how to work with people with respiratory issues. I turned what was a very dark time for me into something positive to help others, and I'm having a wonderful time sharing my knowledge with this project. I used to use another platform for my website, but I'm so glad I changed to Squarespace. I need to get a lot of information across on my site without it looking cluttered and confusing. It's been easy for potential clients to navigate. I have to provide information about my Pilates business, but also need to include information about my workshop. Squarespace allows me to get everything on there that I need to, and visitors can easily find what they're looking for when they come. Also, very easy to edit. As a perfectionist and control freak, I hate the thought of having to contact someone to edit my site. Oh, honey, I told you about my experience. I hate to wait for them to do the edit and then maybe discover it's not exactly what I wanted. Well, with Squarespace, I can easily make the edits myself in a few minutes, saving me time and saving me stress. The, the site looks professional, has moved up the Google rankings to first place in my area. Holla! Thank you, Squarespace. My site is totalprecisionpilates.com. Totalprecisionpilates.com, which includes my Pilates business and my workshop, the Vital Breath Workshop. RuPaul, thank you for bringing us AJ and the Queen. Such a fantastic series. I hope you get to do a series two. The world needs it. Michelle, I wish you all the best for your knee surgery. Oh, oh yes, we've been talking about that. I had the same injury and same surgery. Every dancer does. Do the rehab and you'll be back dancing in no time. Oh, I certainly love this. If you need help with it when you're in London, I know a great Pilates teacher based at Central London Studio. Um, listen, I, I can't tell you enough how important this is. I know we're talking about Squarespace, but a website like this is super important. My daughter has something called vocal cord dysfunction, and all this sounds like it's familiar. So thank you so much for sharing that. And for you guys, please send in your websites to rupaulpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your Squarespace experience and your websites, and we'll talk about them. Get a free trial with no credit card required just by going to squarespace.com. When you're blown away and ready to confirm a plan, get that offer code RU to get 10% off. You'll be getting a great, great deal. Thanks again to Squarespace. Keep sending them in. RuPaulPodcast at gmail.com. That's squarespace.com. Offer code Ru. And thank you, Joe. Thank you for your email, honey. All right. We have some more people who have some questions. We do two more questions. Que- you have a good question over there? Come on over here, mama. <laughs> we, we, you, no, I'm talking to this lady back here. <laughs> Let's see. What she got? If she, hopefully her question isn't as hard as Mr. Brazonk's over there. Come stand over here um, and face it. Say, what's your name and where are you from? Amanda from Shelter Island, New York. Your name is Amanda. Yes. See, I speak in radio thing, right? Okay. You see how I do it slow? Your name is Amanda, Amanda. from Shelter, Shelter Island. Island. Is that that little, that's not Roosevelt Island, is it? It's in between the two forks of Long Island. You Wait have to take a ferry. 
it's a shelter. So I'll describe it to you. So sh- Long Island shaped like a fish. Here's New-, here's New York City there. Yeah. And then you've got the South Fork. Yeah. And the Hamptons. Okay. The North Fork. Shelter Island. It's in the middle. In the middle. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Did you know that? That's vulgar. Yeah. (laughs) I did not know that. And you came all the way out here to see us. Yeah, it's like out by the Hamptons. Say that again? It's out by the Hamptons. Yes. And you came all this way? Yes. And you got glitter on your face, and you are ready. All right. So my question is... Yeah, well, face out. (laughs) My question is, is has Don Lemon ever hit on you? You gotta, um, say it slower. Has Don Lemon ever hit on you? That's on him. You. Yeah. No comment. Oh my goodness. You know, I, I met Don Lemon last week for the first time. He was out in Los Angeles for the Emmys and he is, he's a lovely spirit, yes, yes. lovely energy. Yes. Do you guys hang out at all? No. No, not at all. No. Yeah. Well, he, lives, he lives out in the Hamptons. He, he lives in Shelter Island. <laughs> Because I, because I, I, we just naturally assume that people who are on TV know each other. And I mean, I, I, I know him. Because you're on the show all the I'm time. On, I'm on his show most, most of the time I'm on CNN. Uh, but he, has a, he, he lives out. He has a lovely boyfriend and a dog. And they have a great life on, in the Hamptons. Yeah, I love Don Lemon. I love Don Lemon. All right, so we want to take some questions from some other areas in the room. Okay, yeah, how about that girl down there with the red hat on? You Come on over here. Yeah. Like the and mainly right. because of your. <laughs> Very fashionable. Yes. Hi, RuPaul. Hi. Here, sit in the, stand in the light and, and talk slow. I now, will. Where are you from? I'm from Norway. Norway? Yes. Is, is that anywhere near the Hamptons? <laughs> no. No. And what is your name? Okay, good luck pronouncing it, okay. Paul, but you can try. Uh, it's Yergen. Okay, that sounds like Rose Nyland would make say something like that. <laughs> Do you know who Rose Nyland is? She's one of the Golden Girls. Oh, I watched yeah. that. I watched a few episodes. Yeah, yeah. And look how pretty you are. Are you a ch- are you a child? Are you? I'm, I'm 15 years old. 15. <laughs> And do you still live in Norway? I do. I'm only visiting. I'm leaving on Sunday. You, you're visiting. You've got to talk slow. You're visiting and you're leaving on Sunday. Yes. And tell me about, and, and you can answer out there. We, we pretend like it's theater. You know, you know, on Drag Race, you know, I talked to Michelle Visage. She's sitting next to me. I never look at her. <laughs> I look at her. Why? Ask me. I think ask there's me another why. reason for that. Ask me why. Why? 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 I, I tell you why. Just kidding. I love you, Michelle. Why? I tell you why. Because the camera is out there. And I want the camera to pick up every little bit of what I'm looking like. Every little bit. Every little bit. So, so what do they call you for short? What's, what do, what's your nickname? What can I say? Okay, well, here in America, I have asked them to call me George. George, I know George, yes. So, George. Now... What is your question? 
Okay, so my question is, on behalf of me and my sister sitting over there... Your, si- your biological sister? Yes. Okay. Um, I want to ask you, where do you, RuPaul, see drag in 10 years? 10 years? Well... Yeah, well, just in the future. In the future. <laughs> well, I do. I want to preface my answer by saying I like to stay in the moment. And I know when you're... 15, you're always looking forward to what's it gonna be like? But George, this is the thing is right now you're looking so foxy with your beret. And and what are those product glasses? What are those? What kind of glasses are those? They're very I don't know, but they're expensive. <laughs> yes. Did you say they were offensive? They're so expensive that oh. they're offensive. Oh, chic and so smart I just think you are the bee's knees and so the truth of the matter is this where drag is in the future or in the past I gotta tell you drag is right here right now right here right now Thank you so much, darling. Thank you. Thank you. Here, Steve will give take your microphone. Now we have did Theron, we have one ta- one more. Oh, oh, he's one. a taskmaster. One over there. more question. One more. Cause somebody else got the room, right? Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. All right. Who's got a good question? Who's got a good question? You you do this woman right here. Come on over here, lady. Yes. Now, if you don't have a question, I'm gonna key your car. Okay. What car? Yeah, what car? Right. <laughs> or I will I will steal your Metro Pass. Yeah. All right. So. So. What is your name? And you see how I'm speaking slowly. And you know, <laughs> what you learn in radio is you use your hand to mm-hmm. conduct how slow you speak. <laughs> this way, the audience at home can hear and decipher what you are saying. <laughs> so. Try it. Try it when you talk, okay? Now, what's your name and where are you from? My name is Deb. My name is Deb. Deb. And I am from Long Island. (laughs) From here? Are you, where, are you in here? I'm right in the middle, right here. um, In the middle, right here. Right, Patchogue. Patchogue, Long Island. All right. Yeah. And what is your question? So my question is extended for both of you. Slower, yeah. My question is extended for both of you. Us here, yes. Yes, for you on stage. Yeah. And uh, one thing that concerns me is we continue to polarize. And I find it harder and harder to connect with people. Uh, What My question is, what can we do as people here, uh, in the media, as leaders of empires, um, to make those bridges and connect us? Okay, that, that's a great question. Uh, my answer here may not be 
completely satisfying because I am an absolutist on this. Um, I'm not gonna meet a bigot in the middle, right? We, we, can, we can disagree on a lot of policy issues. We can disagree on any uh, kind of political issue as long as our, your disagreement with me does not turn on my right and ability to live a happy, free, and open life. The moment that you cross into that territory, I actually don't want to come together with you, right? And I think we put an undue burden onto people who have experienced some level of oppression in this world, whether it be gay or black or religious or whatever, to try to draw out people into the light which is another form of oppression. That is not my job. Uh, my favorite Toni Morrison quote is her, she was giving, I think it was a graduation speech, and she says, the real effect of racism, maybe not of the intention, but the effect is distraction because it keeps you explaining things that do not need to be explained. Mm. And, and, and in a life, time, energy, passion are limited commodities. Every moment that I spend giving that to someone who chooses to be in a cave is a moment that I take away from living my life, doing my work, extending my studies, loving my family, being with my friends, enriching my community. I won't give you that. If the flaw is with you, you fix it. Don't ask me to fix it. That is absolutely great. Thank you so much, Deb. Thank you, and thank all of you so much for being here. We're gonna stand can up so can take a If you can't love yourself, how the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Hey.